0: They weren't actually called deacons in that passage, but the groundwork was laid for diaconal work, and later on, as the church developed, and Paul would write his letters, and we watch then, even from early church history, how it was played out, but we see see deacons being set up, but the first uh, controversy was over that. But here comes another bigger controversy, and the controversy is the church is growing so fast, and it's bringing so many diverse people in, people that... uh, uh, how are they going to get along? How are they going to live? You had one group of people, and I'm starting to think more and more it's less about race and more about religion. Uh, you had one group of people, the Jewish people, who'd grown up with the scriptures, scriptures that we call the Old Testament. They just called them the scriptures or the scriptures. It's it's no less the Bible than the New Testament, but they had that. That passage I read about uh, confession of sin and the looking for a redeemer and God sending a redeemer, all of those things were there along with God's guidelines for how to live. And there was a law. And there were three parts of the law. You've heard these before. There was a, um, we talk about the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, uh, moral law being ten commandments uh, that, that, that transcend all of these things. They had a ceremonial law with sacrifices that pointed to the coming uh, ultimate sacrifice, and that's why when Jesus uh, died, the the curtain temple was ripped, and all those sacrifices uh, that pointed to Jesus uh, didn't have to point to Jesus anymore because Jesus was here as the sacrifice. They had a civil law, just laws for people to keep as they got along with people, the same way that we have, like I could be driving along and it's like, Man, and I've got one of these little trackers. I'm letting big Brother spy on me so I can save 60 bucks from State Farm. <laughs> maybe my wife's smarter than me. She goes, They're going to spy on me like that. I'll pay the 60 bucks to have them not watch me. Um, maybe maybe that's the better way. But I, I'm trying to drive the speed limit. And, and coming down uh, uh, one of these roads, it's like 25, then it's 35, then it's 25. And they tag me all the time because of slowing down and stopping and making people mad behind me. Um, well, there, there's some laws. Something happened on that road in the powers that be, and you want to give the benefit of the doubt? They said, we've got some kids that play here. We've got some people crossing down to the lake. We're going to make it 25 miles an hour here to save. And so there were those laws. They had those kinds of laws in Moses, and they followed those laws. So you had people growing up that were law keepers, that trusted the laws. They saw Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus as legitimate, coming from God, and they grew up with that. They got saved. They were saved by God's grace. And they were moral people. They were, quote-unquote, good people. Just ask them and they will tell you they're good people. And people that looked at them could tell, them, tell that they were too. But all these Gentiles were coming. And they were coming without these types of laws. They weren't oriented toward a religiosity. They got saved out of paganism. And they had some laws too, but those laws were contrary to the laws that would would have been the laws that were acceptable among the Jewish people. There's a law that says, hey, you want uh, yourself to prosper in some cultures? Go kill your child on the altar of Molech. And they've dug up all these little skeletons all around the archaeologists where they took their babies to get Blessing financially uh, to sacrifice that child to that God. And that was their rules. Well, that's abhorrent to a holy God who says, in the womb, I was forming you. Who says, life matters, that people are made in the image of God. Well, some were coming out of that kind of a culture. They were coming out of temple prostitution culture. They were coming out of various cultures, and they were getting saved. Peter's words They're Christians just like we are. They're just not oriented. So some people, and it does say this, and I hope you didn't miss this. It says some Christians who were of the Pharisee party, in other words, you could be a Pharisee and a Christian according to the Bible, they'd come out of that party. Well, they said, I tell you what, we've got to get these guys acting like Christians ought to act. For one, they better get circumcised, receive that mark that they are God's people like we are. And you've got to have them do this. And this was no small controversy. Get them in their Bibles. Tell them how to live. And there's a huge debate. Uh, I like how Luke puts it in Acts. There was no
1: small dissension. What does that mean? (laughs) There was a big fight.
0: Every time you get a bunch of people together, there exists the potential for controversy. Even in our churches, somebody's out in the lobby, uh, the the narthex, we call it in our Presbyterian lingo, talking about some movie they watched or saw last night or they use a movie as a reference. And somebody else might say, how could they watch that as a Christian? And and, and there's a battle. I've known people. uh, Kids got together, they said, this is amazing to us. Uh, Our parents both are Christians we have these standards there's movies we can't watch, but you're allowed to watch there's movies that you're allowed to watch, but we can't watch and people do there's 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 a a difference in in our approach, even as Christians uh, with what we how we live and this was huge back then, and Paul was planting these churches, some were pretty much all coming out of religion, some were coming pretty much all out of paganism. Some were a mix. Remember, he would go to cities, and he'd start out in the synagogues, and sometimes if they didn't have a synagogue, they'd meet down by the river, and they'd start there where there was a a reception, and they'd tell them this is who the Messiah is, but then the church would be a blend of people. Our church, if it's doing right, by God's grace, I hope, oh, please, God,
1: and celebrate when it happens, a blend of people. Need all a religious person that doesn't know Jesus needs to get saved, or that religious
0: person will go to hell. A non-religious person that doesn't know Jesus needs to get saved, or that person will go to hell. You get us all together. We've got
1: ways as we work these things out. We've got a Bible to try. We've got, it, but it, it's it's always a struggle. And they had this battle. And the big incident. Uh, we
0: know that that God's church cuts across cultural norms. This is quite the statement. Nowadays, in our quote-unquote enlightenment, we say, "Well, that should be that way." What a profound statement! When Paul would write to a church in the early days in Christ, there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no bond or free. In other words. Gender, race, class distinctions don't exist in God's economy. Radical for the, di- for the time. And even radical for now as we in our watch our secular culture divide, divide, divide again.
1: And form alliances and, and, and eat and devour each other in our sinful ways.
0: The church is still the place Still the place where those distinctions do not belong and they don 't belong in, in, in god 's economy, and then we work things out here in our sinfulness to try to be godly that 's what was going on here. So what I saw was the biggest that now I say is big, still big is this, and we 're going to just hit this one point this week, and we 're going to come back to bigger and biggest uh,
1: uh, next time. This is big. I saw a few church fights in my day. Boy, it's ugly. That's terrible. If you're a parent and you have kids with bitterness toward each other, that could bring tears. What's wrong with my kids? It's not what we tried to raise them to be. Western Iowa, those guys, could, those guys could lock into
0: some opinions and, and fight out there. Those, those good old farmers, man, they were tough. The Scandinavian, Nordic folks, they've been, they've been, they've been, but there's a point, and there is no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, nope. and this is it. And, and, and sometimes that can be infuriating because you think you're going to get, no, there's a point. This wasn't like sheep farmers versus cattle farmers like in the Clint Eastwood movies where the guy rides in and they're trying to put fences up and 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 uh, and the cattleers don't want that and all that. This was more, uh, I described this character, these these families, this specific incident, more like the, the boys from Seven Brides from Seven Brothers. <laughs> and this family came in. And the issue out there in Western Iowa was, uh, in, a, in a little Baptist church was, two things. Calvinism, a little Calvinist pastor wanted to start a Christian school and some of them were mad at him for Calvinism and some of them thought their schools were just fine, thank you. And there they were. My parents did what they could to shield us. If they thought there'd be a on-the-spot quote-unquote business meeting, which isn't business meetings, it's business, uh, they'd leave us home because they didn't want the kids exposed to that. But one time and I heard, overheard my dad talking to my mom, and he was uh, disappointed. He said, I, I should have seen it coming. I wish the kids hadn't had to see this. And somehow the, uh, the seven brides, or the seven brothers lost the fight. And they lost the vote, and it was a strict vote and they didn't have enough people ahead of time to get enough people, and these people got more people to come, and they all came in. I think one woman even had uh, her husband's yes vote, and he'd written yes and signed his name to it, and she was supposed to put that in. He wasn't even supposed to be, couldn't be there, but he was going to vote anyway, uh, depending on how how it went. And the one guy walks up to the other guy to say, well, you know, the conciliatory, he's going to stick his hand out. And and one of the brothers knew jujitsu. <laughs> Over the shoulder, and then my dad, the state trooper, had to calm things down, and and it was rough. And I grew up saying, "Man, that's there's something wrong with a form of church government and decision making that way." And I'm a Presbyterian, not for uh, uh, infant baptism and covenant theology, which I fully embrace. But what drew me was the system of. Government based on what I saw in Acts 15. There's a controversy. It's going to threaten the whole church. There are cultures coming together. What's going to happen? What happened is people came together to make a decision for the church. Authorized. The right people came together. There's three basic kinds. We talk about church polity. Think of the word polity and think of the word polite. Sometimes uh, your polity helps you be polite. There are three basic kinds of church government. There's a kind that says one person is at the top and is in charge of everything, and then there's uh, three-star generals and two-star generals, and there's lieutenants, and there's sergeants, and there's People, you know, doing the grunt work here and have a one person at the top makes a decision. That's the person. You'll find this in Roman Catholicism, the Pope. That's probably the one we all think of first. You find it in Anglicanism. You find it in Methodism. One person at the top, and then there's a series of, of decisions and all that. But think about that. Well, that person better be good all the time. That person better be, if they're going to speak the words of God, then you have another kind of, of church government. And this is the kind of church government that I was most exposed to. That's, we don't like them outsiders. <laughs> Keep our government as local as we can. And everything, color of the carpet, put it to a vote. It's a vote. Democracy here. And you have that, and there's no outside help, and there's no. And, and boy, I think if I had to choose one or the other, I, I know which way I would go. I'm talking to James about this this week, um, just because of my, because I'm from Iowa, and I like my freedom, and I want to keep my government close. I know which way I would go if I had to choose the two. But then there's this way, this way that we see in Acts, where there is a controversy that's threatening, not just. The big city church, but the the, 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 the local yokel's out here, and, and the culture's here, and there's a controversy. There's no small dissension on what's going to happen, and what did they do? They took these elders, they sent them, they all came. You have some big players there, and you get quoted of Peter and, and then those, but it says before Peter spoke, what does it say happened? They all had a talk. It says, uh... The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Verse 6, and in verse 7, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said what he said. Then after Peter spoke, after all these people talking, there was debate back and forth. Peter speaks. Then Paul and Barnabas give a report on what they've seen, and they add their two cents worth. And then the convener, the one in charge there, uh, who said, uh, this is James, the brother of Jesus, who said here's what I think we should do then based on hearing all this. But he wasn't the Pope. They all got together and that letter that they sent out uh, that I did not read that, that, that came said, we think this, we think that, we we came together. There was a decision made by people from all the parties represented and what did they do? What did they consider? Well, they looked Yes, from human perspective, what's God doing? And these were men who were versed in the scriptures. But you even see scripture quoted there. And I asked Dave to read that for the Old Testament reading this morning. We see it again here. They are looking at God's word and they're trusting the Holy Spirit. And they love the churches. They don't know the people out there, but the people that came loved their people. And there was
1: something going on that's called Presbyterianism. It's a good thing. Churchill said about
0: democracy, he said, democracy is the very worst form of government there is, except for every other kind, and I would say that about Presbyterianism, given these three options, and I don't know any other variations on that, I I think they mix and match, and I think some of these guys over here uh, that, that are called a democracy, that's really more like that, that guy is just a little pope. He's just not the pope of the world. He's just the pope of his place. And I was describing uh, this week some of the things I saw. It was almost like a king of the mountain. And there's the one guy trying to be up on top. And his deacons are like either the henchmen. <laughs> that they bust people's knuckles or legs for him. Or the ones that are uh, stabbing him. And he's saying, you too, Brutus. Uh, and so some of, some of that kind of in, on paper is like that is really like this. And there's all this. It happens in Presbyterianism. It can be corrupted. There is a church uh, starts. It starts with the plurality of elders, and it was the plurality of elders. Then I learned about the broader Presbyterianism, but the plurality of elders that just was the draw to me.
1: Wow. That pastor's not the big boss elder can't come up.
0: I was Pray pray for our worship team. If I've really had extra coffee that morning, I come in and I preach them the sermon, and then then they have to scramble to to rehearse, and then then I I go and come back and preach. And I was saying to, to, to Tito and Anna, I said, what this means is that somebody can't say, I'm an elder and I think you were playing that song too fast. What are they supposed to say if somebody says, I'm an elder and you're not supposed to do this? Well, they're within their limits to say, well, then you're an elder who's out of line. If an elder doesn't like something, that elder comes to the rest of the elders. I can't say I'm the pastor and I don't like, no. If I'm wondering about the the course of the church and I see something or I'm worried about, you know, whatever it may be, my job is to go back and sit with Rick and John and Dave and Mark in a officially called elders meeting where that's business that's stated. We come together as a group and maybe I say, I just thought, you know, I, I I thought they played that song way too fast. Well, maybe it's like in a pack of dogs where one dog to settle another dog down and just give them a little nip. Maybe some elder needs to come along and just give me a little nip and cool my jets a little bit because maybe maybe I'm way out of line. Elders act jointly, and not severally is, is the way it's talking about. And in Presbyterianism, there's
1: something called presbytery, and that happens on that level, and it's for our good and our protection. Church controversy. Well, these Jews, these religious
0: people, they said, we're worried that the Gentiles coming in, that these pagans coming in with all of this uh, things that they're used to that they may not live
1: properly. Was that an honest assessment? Was that a legitimate fear?
0: Go read 1 Corinthians, where the guy's got his father's wife living with him now, and, and Paul says, that's not to be. That's an honest fear. The worries about how we live as Christians and how we carry the name of Christ is honest. That's that's It's, it's not like, oh, anything that has to do with anything about Christian living must be off limits. That's not biblical. That's not what I'm saying. Honest fear. But they extended it. They had their discussion. They had a unified decision. As I was talking about how how that can even be corrupted in a Presbyterian system. Pastor comes to the church and an elder gets up and says, Pastor so-and-so, he's going off. He's, this is his two weeks to seek the vision for the church. They get the other elders to pray for him, and he's going to trudge on up the mountain, which is really, he's going to trudge off to the golf course. <laughs> And about the 17th hole on the fifth day of his, of his uh, vision trip, he's going to put something on paper and come down. That's
1: not, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. The Bible said they
0: set up elders in every church. It's elder-led. That's a distinction. It may not hit us where we live and we're trying to find the best uh, price on watermelon for our picnic that it's protection and comfort for us spiritually to have a form of government that is Presbyterian where there are a plurality of elders and a plurality of, of churches together looking out for each other. Something goes out of shape here. Uh, I get up and I start saying, you know, I really think that 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 Jesus did not really, not really physically rise. Uh, Spiritually he rose, and we know something happened because they were all affected, but I don't think he rose bodily from the dead. And I start to
1: teach that. And you got a couple of options. You know? Your last case would be,
0: get out of there quick. But that shouldn't be your first. First would be, I would say, Pastor Dave, did you really say that? Did you really think that? I'm like, well, I think we got, they got it recorded that week. Let me hear. Oh, man, I said that. I didn't mean to say that. Oh, that's terrible. Thank you. Get that thing off the Internet. I, I got I to come back and correct to the congregation. Uh, or maybe I go, no, there's room in Christianity. It's a big tent. I can believe that, and I'm still a Christian, and, and you can believe that too. Well, then what do you do? And I say, like I heard somebody say one time, wrongly, sinfully. There's 12 doors in this place. Pick one. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, you don't say that.
1: You go to the elders. Did you hear that? <laughs> Maybe the answer is we heard that. Emergency meeting.
0: Two of us got together following our rules. We called a meeting. Uh, Pastor Dave, has, has got, we gotta,
1: we got to check this out. Maybe the elders say, no, this is our belief now. What do you do then? If you love
0: God's church, if you're a member and you've said in the fifth one that that you're there, you love the purity and the, uh, what do we say? I pledge, I forget how it goes, the purity and peace of the church, then you have a presbytery to go to. You have recourse. There is something, and they get together and they hear those charges, and that's real and it matters. These things are important for our protection. Why? We're in the application conclusion stage already of this sermon. Why? Because it is important for you to have a place where you can come, a church that you can come to, and you can know every week, I'm going to come and I'm going to answer God's command and I'm going to praise the Lord for His salvation. And I'm going to meet God's people. And I'm going to confess my sins. And I'm going to Partake of communion. And I'm going to hear something from God's word that either reminds me, or maybe it's a little bit new, but it's hopefully biblical. And I'm going to make sure of that. And, and I'm going to interact with God. Most By, by the way, most sermons are not new. <laughs> if I say, my goal is to have one new thing that nobody's ever heard every week, <laughs> that's going to be some pretty bad preaching. and That's going to be not. Uh, most of what we Hear and encounter are stuff we know. We just need to be reminded we haven't thought of it for a while, and we need to hear it. We need to. That's why we preach like we do through the scriptures. But you need a place, and then you say, "I've got people that don't know the Lord. I need a place to to even bring them and invite them to come and hear the gospel." And you need to know. And there's a safeguard in this. You see how the church was safeguarded by this. Presbyterianism, these elders coming from here and there, no small debate, all this discussion, people standing up, what did God do? What does Scripture say as we pray about it? Are we following the Holy Spirit? You need that. Everyone needs a church. Your kids need a church. They need a church even when they're going to stand in front of God and say, I reject everything I heard. They at least won't be able to say... I never heard it in my church. You need a church. Your kids need a church. Our community needs a church where people talk about Jesus. Uh, They don't need a church to to fan the latest political fad and to go along with culture, uh, to go along. They need a church where they hear about God and about Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus did and how their sins can be forgiven
1: and how uh, there's a home in heaven that Jesus is preparing. The home is critical. But the very fact that churches were set up from the get-go,
0: and this was set up, shows that the church is also critical.
1: Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Love your church. The home breaks down and the home front goes. You still have a family if you have a church. Right?
0: Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked around and he said, my mother and
1: my brothers are the ones doing the will of him who sent me. Bruno and Carini need a church. Little
0: Brian has his one-year birthday grandpa and grandma can't come from Brazil. Maybe they'll have a grandpa or grandma or two that'll come and help
1: Bruno celebrate his birthday with their church family. You need a church. You need a church family.
0: and You need the safety of a presbytery and people that love the Lord and love God's people to make decisions to help fight off Controversy and heresy, so we're not all leading each other into hell. Blind
1: leading the blind. That's happened before in history. need a place where the person preaching has been vetted. I get to go see mom and dad this summer.
0: Well, who's preaching? Who's filling the pulpit? It's coming up at the next Presbyterian meeting. How are we doing this? Who's preaching? Who's the one? Who do we get? What's well, a good thing we got a Presbytery that says, here's a license to preach, here's the questions, here's that. Uh, what if I'm, as I said like last week, what if I'm <laughs> if I'm walking down the road reading the newspaper and I walk off a cliff and that's it for me? What if Skylab falls on me or what the latest? Something's fallen from the sky or maybe it hit the ocean already. I don't know. Uh, you guys go to find a pastor. Well, that pastor, because of the Presbyterian system, that pastor is going to have to answer some questions to Presbytery. That pastor is going to be vetted. What do you believe about creation? What do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about the resurrection? What do you believe about the Lord's table? What do you believe about this? And there is protection, as in Acts 15, for a church. What keeps a church on track and not drifting into the fads of the world? What keeps a church from collaborating with tyranny? From going along with the Stalins and the Hitlers and the Pol Potts of the world? What keeps a church from going on with our dictators, our secular humanism? What keeps us from going along with what's happening now, which is deadly? Well, you need the protection like you have in Acts 15. There's still a potential for sinfulness. There's a potential for human error. There's still a, a, a weakness. There's still people that surprise us. Never saw that in him. Oh, man, that was, yeah, there's still that because we're wicked and we're fallen and we're sinful in this world. But you know what? Your best protection is an Acts
1: 15 model where there are people looking out for and looking into Scripture There's still a Demas who Paul can write Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. But the human safeguards are there as we
0: practice what we see in the early church. It's recorded as being done in the early church, and there's nothing that says this is wrong. It's obviously being recorded so we can see it, then it plays out. As we said last week. Plurality of elders that were local. In every church, they set those up. And then Paul goes on to write letters. Here's what elders are to be. Here's what, and as it develops, you see it happening. You see this Presbytery type of a situation, and you see it playing out then. And what were they relying on? By extension, what can we rely on in our own lives and in our church's life and in our, in, in our Presbytery life? We rely on the Holy Spirit speaking
1: through his word. And that's it. Verse 28.
0: In their letter that they wrote to the churches then, they said, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. It seems good to the Holy Spirit, therefore to us, because we're going to go with the Holy Spirit, we're going to go with the word, and the best we can do to not put a burden on you make you get circumcised. And then I loved this. This is not something new. Now, this is something new to me. <laughs> but you guys have probably seen this. But here it is. Verse uh, 19 through 21, when James was giving the summary of this, you can tell me later if you, if you were aware of this or not. He says, therefore, my judgment, and this is just him moderating the session, essentially listening to the collected wisdom, giving a summary and then the rest of them backing him up. So he's not the the pope here laying down the word. But he says, my judgment is we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from, and he talks about a couple of these practice things because they were coming from a sexual immorality type thing. Better warn them about that lifestyle all that stuff. But then he says this in verse 21, for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Essentially what he's saying is, listen, these Christians who love God, who are filled by the Holy Spirit, are going to have the Bible read to them. And we trust the Holy Spirit working through them, hearing the Bible, to do God's work. We don't even have to be the Holy Spirit for them. I was a young guy once upon a time. I took a mission trip of kids down to Jamaica. We, we, we followed rules, which, which was so good. It wasn't just me and a bunch of kids and take a chance. Oh, thank God they all came back alive. It wasn't that. We had a rules. Boy, one adult for every six kids. I had the right ratios there. If I had more girls going, I was going to have more, more adult women going and a mix of people. So we had these new Christians, a young couple that had gotten saved, and they wanted to go. They weren't in charge. They weren't like the appearance of teens, but they were growing in their faith. And I'll never forget sitting in a room in Jamaica and this woman, young woman, who's just coming out of just, she has got saved. Boy, they love the Lord, she and her husband. She said, you know, I love God. I love this church. I love what we're doing. She said, but there's a couple of things I just, I can't wrap my brain around. I I disagree with, with you guys on. And she named a couple of the cultural issues of the day that are still a couple of cultural issues of today. And I didn't have, I wasn't too wise back then. I just had I was just having fun. But somehow God let me say this to her. I just said, Listen, you keep loving the Lord, you keep praying for God to show you what's right, even in these cultural social issues where the church has come down this way. Keep listening to the Bible and let the Holy Spirit work in you. But don't get sidetracked by politic and political issues when it comes to your faith and your walk in Christ. And and seriously, five years later, she came up to me. and She said, do you remember that conversation? And I said, yep. She said, thank you for that. The reading and the intake of the Holy Spirit, of the Word, as the Holy Spirit, uh, the reading and intake of the Word as the Spirit works in the life of a true believer. People come around, and James said, listen, let's warn them about these things, because these are some serious things. But really, he says, Understand,
1: they're going to hear the Bible every week. The Holy Spirit will do the Holy Spirit's work in refining how they ought to live. Almost. Don't take it for granted. Don't be secure. I've sinned.
0: Man, I, I've i complained too much about, in my own life, about having to go to
1: Presbytery. I'm convicted. Um, I can take it for granted. I can make excuses. <laughs> I can get mad at other people. We're on the
0: fringe of Presbytery. Seems like a demand on time that doesn't have a great return. Maybe the time is right for, for me to, to, to change a little bit. If I'm going to ask you to, to refine your thinking or to rethink if you need to, only if you need to, uh, your own relationship to the church, I better, I better check on mine, right? Listen, the greatest thing that happened to you when you repented of your sins, when you placed your trust in Jesus' work on your behalf on the cross, was that you passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. You were forgiven. You were adopted into God's forever family. And Jesus is preparing a place for you in heaven. But you know, while he prepares that place for you in heaven, he's also prepared a place for you here on earth. And it's called the church. It's so like my dad, he designed this solar house built into a hill there in eastern Iowa. He, it was a passive solar. Uh, he was a good carpenter. <laughs> Ted goes, I can't believe that because Ted tried to get me to, to even staple. I was even messing the staplers up and all that, so that gene just passed me over. But dad built this house. There was a home that his family was going to. He had a vision for it. And while, and I got out of a lot of the work because I went to college after that summer. But that summer, we all moved into this big shed. And that was our place while we worked on that place. And you know what? It was shelter. It was uh, temperature fine. There was electricity. There was cooking that was fine. Um, baths were a little, it was the old-fashioned big tub and all that stuff. And it was all that and clear out and all while we lived there that summer. And it was family. And those, those were a fun summer. Man, we played games. We had a good time as a family in that place. Even as the family got to their nice place that was being prepared. That's the church. It's a great place. It can be fun. It's not heaven. But boy, you can see heaven coming. You can see the
1: work going on in heaven while we live together as a family in the church. Love your church. The local church, it's the connected church, and
0: you don't have to live out in the cold and extremity and hardness and violence
1: of the world without shelter. Come in, says the church, I'll give you shelter from the storm. It's a good thing.
0: Next week we come back. We're looking at the same passage. This is big. I'm going to show you what I think is probably even bigger, and then we're going to talk about the biggest. Come back next week and let's do that. But right now, let's go to the table. Let's get back to our basics. Jesus Christ, our sacrifice, who died for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the church. Thank you that we have a church to come to. Thank you that we, imperfect as we are, we have a perfect word and a perfect Holy Spirit that's leading and guiding Thank you that there's forgiveness for sins. Thank you that there are course corrections that can be made.
1: Lord, thank you for our place called the church. Thank you for Jesus Christ who died and calls the bride of him, his church. In Jesus' name, amen.